So we're going to be in Acts chapter 18, if you want to turn there, Acts 18. And we're going to look at verses 18 through 23. The Word of God that says, As this, Paul stayed many days longer, and then took leave of his brothers and set sail to Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila at Sincerea, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they said, and they came to Ephesus, and he uh, left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, and he said, "I will return to you in God's, if God's will." And he set sail for Ephesus. When he had landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Pergia, Pergia, strengthening all the disciples. So all we have here is that Paul is on the move. He is going from place to place. He stopped in this, this one place and spent some time there. He uh, is, still has Aquila and Priscilla with him, you know, this bond that they have developed last week. We talked about their, their tent makers, and they love the Lord, and they're, just, they're starting to travel together. And we have him just kind of uh, bouncing around, even though they tried to encourage him to stay a little longer. And so today, what I want to do is I want to just focus on a verse here because I, I think there's something that we can have a conversation about I think that you would really benefit from and find uh, very useful and, and probably uh, interesting. And it's that verse there um, in, at the end of 18. It says, As Sharia, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. And so today, I thought we would be, it would be beneficial to talk about vows. And what is it that Paul is doing here? Why would he cut off his hair? Um, so we're going to talk about what they are, you know, why they are important, making these vows to God, and how they benefit us. And so the first thing is, I just want us to think about that. The first part is, what is a vow? Uh, in, in the noun form of the vow... Uh, there's a difference between a vow and an oath. And I think that we ought to have that conversation real quick. What is an oath and what is a vow? So an oath is a solemn pledge or promise to a god or the god, king or another person to attest to the truth of a statement or contract. In other words, it is saying that you promise that this is true. What you're saying is true or what you're attesting to is true. A vow is a solemn promise to perform some act uh, or behave in a specific manner, especially a promise to live or act in accordance with the rules of a religious order. So in other words, let's, let's talk about this for a second. So your mom says to you, she says, son, did, um, did you take out the trash? And a good son would say, I pinky promise mom, or I swear I took out the trash. In other words, he's saying what his statement of taking out the trash is true. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, that would be him taking an oath. Does that make sense? Um, what he is saying is true. So, or his mom might say, son, please take out the trash. And his, her son could say, I promise that I will take out the trash before I go to bed tonight. 
Now he's making a vow. You see the difference? One is just attesting to what his statement is true. I took out the trash and I pinky promised that I did. The other is I promise, I vow to take out the trash before I go to bed tonight. Um, and uh, so that's the difference, I, I suppose, between a vow and an oath. Now, Paul is making a vow. And I think it's really important for us to understand he's not making a, an oath here. He's making a vow. We don't know what he has promised to do before God. But what we know is that it is very serious, so much so that he is needing to pause and shave off all of his hair and make this known, right? In other words, uh, uh, we don't know what he is doing, but we know that he is promising something to God. Now, we also know that it, whatever he's promising to God, it would be something that God would want, right? You know, because there are certain things that we could vow and, and promise to do, but it's not like would be okay with God. Like, God does not want us to take advent, revenge. He says, do not uh, take revenge. I will pay, repay, saith the Lord, right? Uh, and so if we, we take a vow that I'm going to, you know, punish this person or I'm going to get back at this person, well... <laughs> I would, that wouldn't be a, a, you know, a vow that I would want to make to God uh, because, for one, it wouldn't be in his. So we know that Paul, whatever vow he's making, is something that is pleasing his God. His God wants him to do. So let's explore this just a little bit further before we move on to the next thing, you know, the difference between a vow and an oath. In Matthew chapter 5, it talks to us about an oath. Uh, verse 33, Jesus does. He says, again, you have heard that it is said to those of old. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And I say to you, do do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is a footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make a hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no, anything that it, anything more than this comes from evil. So obviously, when it comes to vows and, and oaths, oaths, I mean, vows, oath, vows are good, oaths are no good, according to Jesus. Jesus doesn't like them. He doesn't like people going around and saying, I swear, I, I promise on my mother's grave. I, I solemnly swear I'm telling the truth. I pinky swear. I swear to God. I mean, we hear people say this. Maybe you've said it sometime. In the, but he doesn't, he doesn't like that. Why doesn't Jesus like oaths like that? Because he just wants us to tell the truth and re- our reputation hold that truth in place. In other words, if you are in a place that you have to solemnly swear certain things and not solemnly swear other things, it's, it's because maybe you've told too many untruths and now they're kind of questioning whether you're telling the truth now. And you feel like you have to really emphasize, no, I'm not, I'm not like I was yesterday. I'm really telling the truth right now. Have you ever had any of your kids do that? <laughs> and you're just like, well, you, you don't tell the truth all the time, so how do I know if you're telling the truth now? And so Jesus is just done with this. He just wants... Truth to be truth. You know, just say what is right all the time, and your reputation will build upon itself. Sometimes I have, you know, had to fill out information where I've, you know, give my name and, and you know, medical history and age and all of these different things, and then at the end it, it tells you, 
under the penalty of, you know, fraud or, or uh, whatever it be, uh, you realize there's consequence if you do not tell the truth here. And then you have to sign your name that what you just wrote was the truth, right? Um, and uh, so that would be kind of an oath. That's the difference. So, so Jesus is like, oaths aren't good. Just speak the, the truth all the time. And people will know from your reputation uh, that you're telling the truth. Now, vows are different. Vows are good, especially uh, when you understand the difference. So here's, let's move on to the importance of keeping our vows to God. Now, there's all kinds of vows. I mean, things that you would, you would probably recognize as, uh, you know, familiar are, you know, a vow of silence. You ever heard of anybody taking a vow of silence, right? Or a, a vow of obedience or a vow of chastity or uh, celibacy. I, I think nuns uh, and priests still do that, I believe. I don't know. I don't keep up on that, but I, I know they used to. Um, but I think that they still do. I have... I have seen, let's, here's some examples of it. I, I've known some young people who will get a ring, and they will, it's a purity ring, and they'll put it on. In fact, I think Matthew did, had this when he was like in high school, uh, back in high school, uh, wore a ring. In fact, people would ask him all the time, are you married? And he's like, no, not yet. I mean, this was before, obviously, Madison. Um, but he had this promise ring. Well, what he was doing is he was making a vow to his God, right, that he would stay sexually pure until he was married. And so he wore this ring. Interestingly, which is really cool, but he wore something to signify that to himself and to the people around him that he's made this vow before God. That's one of the reasons that Paul cut off his hair. It was a very visual representation assigned to the people that were close to him that would have known um, that he didn't just like, you know, have scabies or, you know, lice or something, and he was trying to get rid of that. Um, they would have known he was making a vow to God and that he, he is making it um, known. And I think that's just super important, you know. In fact, that's, that's a God thing. If we would go back, maybe we'll look at that here in a little bit, but, but the, the, it was a Nazarite law that if you were to make a vow to God, you'd cut your hair off. Um, and uh, so... Anyhow, I, Andy Peterman made a vow to God like this. He t- kind of took it a step further. He vowed that he would not kiss anybody other than his mother until his wedding day. And I'm pretty certain he told me he kept that, and I'm pretty certain he did uh, from everything I could tell. Vance Russell made the exact same vow, um, and I'm pretty sure he kept it too. But that's, these are examples of vows. These are uh, uh, what they, they are. And so that's what Paul, he was making something of this sort. I don't know what it was, but he was making a vow of some sort. Now, we have marriage vows. That would be a good example too, right? When we come up on stage of some sort, have a ceremony, and we have, in the midst of the ceremony, we recite our vows to one another. The traditional vows are, are something like this. I, you know, whomever, take you, whomever, to be my wedded wife or husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part. That's some pretty serious words, is it not? Especially that death do us part. I've known some people that want to change that. You know, somehow they either want to leave that out or they just want to soften it somewhere. Um, and uh, you always know that, oh boy, <laughs> will this one last? Because vows are, vows are super serious. No doubt we take them serious. I mean, we, we, 
when you're about to get married, that's the part that makes you sweat. Like, you know, it's dripping off your nose because you're like, man, I've not made a promise like this to anybody, you know, of this sort. I like uh, Congressman Dan Crenshaw. I, I just think he's a pretty cool guy. And I was listening to him this past week, and he was talking about, he's a former Navy SEAL, and during Hell Week, what they call Bud's Week, you know, where they just go through crazy stuff, most of them don't make it through, or at least a lot of them don't. And they give you this option, you know, to ring a bell. If you just want to quit at any point in time, you can go ring this bell, and you can go have supper and, you know, cool down, whatever. But, um, but he says that the only way possible to actually make it through Bud's Week is if you have the mentality from the very beginning that I will die or I will finish. He says anything, if you leave the door open just a little bit, uh, you won't make it. And I kind of think, I've never been through it, but I kind of think just watching and knowing, you know, the stories and seeing, I can see that that'd be true. You know, you either have the mentality that you will die or you see through. I think that's how marriage is. In fact, he talks about that and then he talks about marriage, which was really interesting to me. But the same mindset has to be, we are in this until death do us part, so we better figure out how to get along, you know. And it gets you through some of the hurdles that you would have never gotten through if you don't have that mentality. Anyway, he and his wife, uh, on their wedding, one of their wedding pictures, he had this uh, phrase that was at Hell Week, which just read, the only easy day was yesterday. And some people would look at that and be like, man, that is pretty pessimistic for your wedding day. The only easy day was yesterday. That's, that's real, you know, that's a, that's a realization of what is coming. That's somebody that knows that we're in this for the long haul and we are taking this, you know, with, uh, uh, with clarity and understanding and, uh, and stuff. So I thought that was kind of cool though. Who are we making those vows to, by the way? Marriage vows. Well, it's to each other, and that's one of the things about vows in the Bible. You'll see that the, there's even vows that they make these promises that are kind of like super concrete to one another. But most of the time, vows that are in the Bible are vows that they make to God. Uh, and I think the wedding vows are a mixture of the two, right? You are making this vow to the person that you are about to uh, commit to forever, but you're also making it before God. That's the reason you're in this ceremonial type, religious type setting is because you realize that I'm not just making this to this person. I'm also making it to God. I think you could even take it a step further. We talked about this in my Sunday school class, and that is that I think you're even kind of vowing if you have kids, if kids come into the picture, that you're also vowing to keep these promises for their sake too. So I think it's really kind of a more of a threefold uh, kind of vow that you're making. But regardless... There is seriousness about these vows, and God takes them. That's what I really want us to dive into for a moment. God takes these things super serious, and we should too. But we have to understand, he sees them as binding. In fact, just talking about marriage for a second, if we, we make this vow to death do us part kind of vow, this is that we're making before God and for this other person, and when we break them, how does God see that? We don't talk about this very often, but God, Jesus talks about it twice in Matthew chapter 5 and in Matthew chapter 9. But he says the exact same thing, and that is 5 verse 31. He says, whoever divorces his wife, 
let him give her his, you have heard it said. So that's what they say in the Old Testament kind of thing. And Jesus isn't rewriting the Old Testament. He's just trying to help us understand what that, that meant uh, to get married, you know, and, and that vow that you made was supposed to be for life, right? But Moses gave them a certificate of divorce because of the hardness of their heart, but not because it would met God's approval. But anyway, go, Jesus goes on and says, But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced man or woman commits adultery. He says the exact same thing in Matthew chapter 19. He says, Because of your hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. These vows were supposed to be forever. He says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for Maryland... Uh, it, for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. Now, obviously, there is opportunity for us to be redeemed and forgiven of any of our sins, but it would take somebody to understand that that was a sin and that was wrong, and I need to repent and seek God's forgiveness and make myself right before God. But vows are super important, and God sees that as so important that he doesn't even really see that it was broke just because you got a divorce, you see. That's why he's connecting. If you divorce and marry another, you're committing adultery. Like, it was a one-time opportunity here, and you uh, have this opportunity. And so the point is, is that just want us to understand the importance that God sees for these vows, and hopefully we will start seeing the importance that we should see. When we make vows to God. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 21, it says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily, I think that's super important, that the vow that Paul has made, the vows that we make, are voluntary. Nobody's forcing you, making you. You are deciding whether you want to do these or not, right? But he says, but you shall be careful to do what has passed your lips. You have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God that you have promised with your mouth. And so, very important. God sees them as very important. We should see them as very important. And so we don't want to rush into making vows, Okay, so in Ecclesiastes 5, 2, it says this. Do not, do not, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hastily to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busy, business and a fool's voice with many words. And I have to tell you, Well, let me read this one also. Proverbs 20, verse 25, it says, It is a snare to say rushly it is holy and to reflect only only after making vows. In other words, don't rush into making vows. Take them serious. Um, God takes them super serious, and we should too. There's all kinds of vows that we make that we probably aren't even aware that we make. For instance, every week we give you an opportunity to vow something to God. That's why we have a moment of decision time, right? We are trying to help you understand what is it that God wants from you. Is there something he wants you to give him, to sacrifice for him, to 
honor him with. And it could be, it could be chastity. It could be, you know, uh, turning away from, you know, lust. It could be uh, greed, you know, turning away from greed, and you're making this vow to God. And when you come forward, and, and we give you this opportunity to do this, it is between you and God. And, but the reason that we give you an opportunity to do it publicly is the same reason that Paul shaves his head or Matthew wears a purity ring, you know, for a period of time, is because we ought, we, we, we ought to make, when we make a vow to God, we should not keep it secret. Why would we keep a secret unless we are thinking that we won't keep it? you see. It's best to make these things known, but it's also best to know that these are super, super, like, important things. Just like when we are saying our vows of marriage, you know, marriage vows to another person, that we really think about what we're doing because this is super important stuff. And we try to word it that way. And when we come forward and we are saying something, confessing something, or trying to make things right with God, that we don't just think that, oh, for the moment, unless something better tempts me or something happens tomorrow. These should be like concrete things in our lives, but we shouldn't make them public because that helps us to keep them and to take them serious, but we should not rush into them. Let me tell you one that's super disturbing, but it'll show you the seriousness of making vows, like how serious God sees it And how serious we should see it. So let's look at Judges chapter 11, verse 30. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, this is what he said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hands, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be to the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So he's making a vow, a promise before God. God, if you will deliver me from the Ammonites, this is what I will do. Okay? Verse 34, it says, Jephthah came to the home of Mezpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with the tambourines and with dancing. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. I don't even know how to read this without getting teary-eyed, but I don't even know how to read that and not be completely disturbed by it. You think there wasn't regret in his heart the moment that he saw? But what was he expecting to come out of the house anyway? The goat, you know? I I don't know. I don't know if this speaks of how desperate he was in that fight, that he was willing to give up anything, Maybe it's always his wife that comes out first. I don't know. Um, But I don't know. But anyway, verse 35, And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. And what does the word of God say? Be very careful. Don't rush into these vows. It would be better, what we've already read, it would be better for you not to make a vow than to make a vow and not keep it. Why would we make a vow in the first place? Because there is benefit in making vows, but don't think that you can just flippantly make vows and not keep them and think that that is going to go okay. And if you read the rest of the story, she takes a 
a few months and goes up on the mountain and just weeps and, you know, mourns. And then she comes back crazy, right? And says, okay, Father, here I am. And he goes out and sacrifices her. Now, God could have stopped that just like he stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son. So the point is, is that God takes it very serious. Jephthah took it very serious. We should learn that this is the God that we serve and that you don't make a vow and not take it serious. We should, they should be taken serious. Ecclesiastes, we read verses 2 and 3, but let's read it down in chapter 5, verse 4 through 7. It says, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the works of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. And so just hopefully we understand the seriousness of vows. But I think it's really important that you just be like, well, I am never taking another vow. But you have to understand that it is always worth it. If you will take a vow of whatever it is that God is leading you to give and sacrifice and and offer him, and you keep it, the benefits are huge. I'm just saying there is so much upside. It outweighs what you are offering. You offer 10 bucks, he gives you thousands, is all I'm saying. And so there's benefits of making vows. The safe thing is to just never make a vow. But hopefully you would understand that not making a vow, you, you lose the opportunity to really gain some amazing things from the Lord. And so, example, for instance, Lori and I have been married. I don't know, Lori, how long have we been married? 26? I mean, 36 30 years. Oh, my goodness. How do I embarrass myself so easily? That's just crazy. But Okay. Yep, that must be right. She's right. So we've been married for a long time. So, and I have kids, and I have a granddaughter now, and she's the sweetest thing ever. I got to watch her this past week. She had this stick. She loved her stick because the dogs would come up. Her dogs would come up and start getting too close to her face. And the little cow dog, she could just whack it on the head, and he would just, or she would just scatter off. And she thought that was really cool. Like, she could control him not being in her face. And then the, the lab dog came up and was in her face, and she started whacking it. But he thought it meant let's play because he loves the fetch, right? And so he's trying to get the stick, and she's trying to whack him. He eventually gets the stick and just takes off, and she does not let go. She just went flying back, but she just got drugged like a little ways before she let go. And she was not hurt, and she was not upset that she went, you know, backwards. She was upset that he got her stick. And so we had to go get her stick. But anyway, the point I'm getting off track. It's easy to get off track on grandkid things, right? But the point is, is that marriage, making this vow to Lori, gave me an opportunity to experience this life with Lori. And then we got to have these kids and experience life with kids. And then we got to have this granddaughter. And I know you can say, well, you can do that without making a vow. No, you can't. 
Because there's people out there that have made that, that uh, promise and they like try to weaken the vow. You know, like I said, they try to um, change the ending of that and not till death do us part, but until something else better comes along or whatever they want to say. And, and they are not blessed like I've been blessed. Or there's people that just, you know, are made promises to each other, but not to God and leave God out of the picture. And I guarantee they're not blessed because we cannot build what God can give. There's no way that I can build this. If, if I would have tried to have this relationship with Lori away from God and not making this vow to God, hopefully we'd still be married, but it wouldn't be as good as it is with God in it. And, and the kids and the grandkid and just kind of moving this along the way. It's just somehow he blesses. Let me show you another one and probably even a greater one, and that is... Baptism is a vow. Is it not? What does it say in 1 Peter 3.21? If they bring it up. It's not there? Well, then we'll just read it. Okay. You always have to go there. 1 Peter 3.21. Sorry I didn't put it up. It says... And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it is not the removal of dirt from the body. It is not like a bath. When we are being baptized, we are being baptized into Jesus because he's the one who saves. Right? And what is it that we're doing? We are pledging ourselves to him for in order to have a clear conscience or a clean conscience. Um, pledging, what does that mean? Well, the word pledge means a solemn promise or undertaking. It is not an oath because an oath is just stating, you know, I, I swear this is true. A vow is pledging some action. You know, you're giving something. And what is it that you're giving in baptism? You're giving yourself to God. You are no longer your own. You were bought at a price kind of thing. Um, Romans 6, it says, don't you know, because they were, all of a sudden these people were starting to sin. And he says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And, and Paul answers, by no means. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Uh, you know, and, and therefore to walk in a newness of life. And he goes on, but he's, we died to sin. How shall we live in it any longer is what he's saying. And, and so he's saying, don't you know that you made a vow <laughs> to give yourself to God? And don't you know that that is a serious thing? Why would you change it, turn from it now? But the reality is, is that's what baptism is, is it is a vow. What is it that we get in return? I can't even count what we get in return here. Like Jesus says, in John 10.10, 10, you will have life and have it to the full. I can't even expand. I can expand for days and days upon just what that means to have life to the full in Jesus now. I can't even imagine trying to expand and understand everything that it's going to mean. But we have eternal life. We have for rightness with God. He has enriched my life in so much right now, here and now. But, but I know that it is, what is coming is so huge. 
And so I make this vow. I give myself to God, but I, what do I get in return? So much more. So much more. Hannah made a vow. In First Samuel, I bet you're familiar with that. In chapter 1, verse 10, she was without child, could not have a child. And she makes a vow, God, if you will give me a child. She was barren. If you give me a child, I will give him back to you. And then Hannah got pregnant and had Samuel. And she gave up her child, you know, uh, uh, for God's honor. Literally, he went and lived in the temple. And um, just think of how difficult that would be to keep your vow. But she saw that it would have never happened if she wouldn't have made the vow in the first place. In other words, she wouldn't have made it. She wouldn't even have had a child. But her vow was is to give the child up, and she, and she did. The Bible shows us several ways on how you can prosper, but one of the ways in which you can prosper in the Lord is to make vows to the Lord. Vows are important. Uh, I don't think we talk about this very often. But it's important that you made that vow to your wife and to God and, and how God can use that vow when you keep it and, and bless. It's important that you make your vow in baptism. It's important that Matthew made a vow of purity and, and Andy made a, a vow of chastity and, and advance. Just think, I mean, just go ask their wives if you don't think that how, what a blessing that is, you know, that they saw that through. Um, Psalms 76. Six, verse 11, it says, Make your vows to the Lord your God and perform them. Make your vows. In other words, it's not make your vow singular. Like It's, it's helping us understand that there's going to be numerous, right, throughout our lives. Let all around you bring gifts to him who is to be feared. Let all of you, and that's what a vow is. It's a gift. Let, let you bring your vows Uh, your gifts to the Lord, your sacrifices, your offerings to the Lord, and make these promises to him who cuts off the spirit of princes and who is to be feared by the kings of the earth. So the Bible encourages us to do this. Paul is doing that here. Not only is Paul doing it here, but if you go to chapter, I think I wrote it down, um, chapter 21, you will see that In verse 23, it says, Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and to pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what you have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in the observance of the law. And so, and he goes on talking about this, but the point is, is that Paul encouraged this, you know, to make these vows. Uh, the, the vows they were making in there in chapter 21 was a vow of purity because there was a lot of impurity when these people would come to Jesus, you know, a lot of sexual immorality, and, and they were vowing. had something to do with that. had something to do with some other things, too. Uh, you can just read it, I guess. But, but uh, I, you know, idols and blood, uh, uh, you know, that has been strangled, so, you know, what they ate and sexual immorality and things. But the point is, is that Paul knew that that was the avenue for which they would be blessed in a greater way. And Paul was giving God something. I don't know what it was, but he was expecting something in return for that. And we ought to also, you know, throughout the Bible, we see people giving vows to God, people who who have 
nothing financially, spiritually, emotionally, whatever it would be, and they bow to God and their life is completely changed. Like Hannah, for instance. But these things are numerous. Like Jacob in Genesis 28, verse 20, it says, And Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, and then it goes on. Now, I don't know what his vow was, but he was asking God to protect and provide and, and give him. And God did. Now, Jonah 1, 16, it says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly after Jonah, you know, and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. And then that's why God sent Jonah, you know, to them. But they took these vows before God. So how exactly do we make a vow? Well, we've already pretty much covered it, but you just are promising something that you know God wants from you, and you are giving it to him. And then you realize how important it is for you to keep it. And you keep it. And then you look and see if God doesn't bless it like crazy. Way beyond what you even thought that he would, but he will do what he promises to do. So in Numbers 16, or 6, verse 18, it says, And the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall take the hair from his consecrated head and put it on the fire that is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. That's what Paul was doing and why he shaved his head and he burnt his, burnt his hair. And I think Matthew ought to do that, but, but we'll, you know, that's up to Matthew, I suppose. Now, Matthew actually, he asked me, because I asked him if he did communion meditation, he's like, well, do I have to shave my head? And uh, so we had all this goofy talk back and forth. But, but the reality is, is that's not what we have to do today. But we have to do, right? I mean... We have to come forward when the Holy Spirit and we, we have made a vow to God and we have to make it public some way. Or, or maybe we share it with just our friend. We don't necessarily have to be up front, but we have to share it with our friend or our spouse or our family, you know, our kids and stuff. We have to make it known in some way um, so that we are more apt to take it serious and make sure that we complete it in some way. Now, here's something that you need to know before I close out, and that is the enemy does not want you to keep these vows that you make. The enemy will try to do everything to convince you that all that, is, that things have changed. You know, uh, circumstances changed. If you didn't know you, this was going to happen or whatever it would be, but just expect opposition because he will try to not let you complete this because he will know that it will be a blessing in your life if you see this through somehow. You know, when things got really bad in the hospital with Lori, and we wanted more than anything, her parents were there the whole time, I was there the whole time, and we wanted more than anything for this to go away. 27 days in the hospital, but we were back and forth, so it was months of just trying to figure out how to stop this leak, you know, all from a one surgery that should have just come home and recovered from, but it just went from bad to worse to worse, and several procedures, and I, I, I know that you, most of you know all about that, but, but what you don't know is that after, like, they tried everything that they could do, and Lori had these severe headaches, 
and just so discouraged. She was trying to stay positive and stay positive through almost all of it. She broke down one night and uh, um, just through a lot of emotion and tears and, and everything, she made a vow to her God. She made a promise. I'm not going to tell you what that promise is because it's still being, uh, it's not time. And someday I think I will share it with you, but, but we are in the midst of trying to transition through all of this because of that vow. But, but the point is, is that things all of a sudden changed. The doctors have pretty much given up. Her, her uh, you know, ear, nose, throat specialist guy, he had given up. His, his only thing that he could offer from here on out is let's just put a shunt in and let that uh, brainal fluid drip and, you know, drain into your stomach, and that's just what, what you will live with the rest of your life kind of thing. Um, but she made this vow, and things changed. All of a sudden, uh, through this conversation, uh, I think God used me in the midst of it, but regardless, um, they used, a, you know, this uh, lumbar drain thing, which was never supposed to be used to the duration that they used it for her, and, and it stopped the leak and everything, and we came home. Now, I tell you all that because I believe, with everything in me, is that that vow that she made made a difference in her re- outcome, of, you know, from that eventually. And I don't think anybody's going to convince me any other way. It would be really easy just to make a vow of seriousness, and then it work out, and then you'd be like, oh, well, it was going to work out anyway, so I'm just not going to make You know what I mean? It'd be like the guy in the airplane who it's going down, one engine's off, the other one is pitter-puttering, and you're saying, God, I, I swear I will serve you with all of my life if we, you know, you know what I mean? Like some type of scenario where you just think you're in a bad, dire need and just need to be rescued. I'll sacrifice the next thing comes out my door. Then it all works out. Then you're just like, well, it would have worked out anyway, so I'm not going to do that. But I think that's sometimes what we're tempted to do. Is to then, after we make these vows, to figure out a way of not having to really keep them. And I think that that would be a big mistake. Um, But however, here's what I know. Is that every vow must have a purpose. Right? Why make a vow without a purpose? Jephthah had an amazing, great purpose. Lori had a great purpose. When you are being baptized into Jesus Christ, you have a great purpose. When you're getting married, you have a great purpose. Vows only go with a great purpose. Uh, you know, something that you really find is important. And you know that God wants. And you need to make them. And then you just have to also be looking for the breakthrough, the deliverance of whatever it is that you are seeking. Because you have a God that is going to do that. It's going to happen. And you just have to know it's going to be greater than what you ever offer. You offer this, you think it's great sacrifice. God gives you so much more in comparison to what you offered. And you have to trust that. But you also have to keep in mind this, and this is very important. Don't think you can manipulate God. He's so much smarter than you. He will not, he will, you can't use him like a genie in a bottle. Oh God, make me rich. I'm going to vow that I do this, you know, 10 push-ups a day for the rest of my life if you make me rich. He is going to see through that like crazy. And you think that you're going to, God's going to bless you with that craziness? 
just don't try to manipulate him. But know that he is a God that, that he, he likes vows, but he likes it when you take them serious and you follow through and you do them. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much uh, for this conversation that we got to have in your word. We thank you for being a, a God that desires to bless us. Thank you for thank you for uh, just the way that you structure these things in a way to just uh, open us up to being blessed. Like you, you help us to uh, uh, know how to please you and therefore how we are blessed by pleasing you. God, we just thank you for all that was accomplished through Paul. I mean, we are still reaping the benefits, and I just wonder if it has not come from this vow that he has placed before you or one of those or many of those, I don't know, but just how how you have used him in so many amazing ways. So, Father, help us just see the seriousness of the vows we take. Help us see the importance of seeing them through. Help us see the benefit of making them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.